take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy 5, and then with uh, one finger in a paper Bible, a bookmark in an electric Bible, then turn from there to Luke, the second chapter, at the end of it, verse, verse 51. And if you would stand for the reading of your word, and I promise you will not stand very long. Now let's see if I can make good with my word, right? <laughs> let's hear the very word of God. Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And over to Luke, in a passage in which Jesus, at about the age of 12, went to the temple, confounded the religious leaders, was lost but found by his parents. And in verse 51 it says, And he went down with them, that is his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And with that, we end the reading of God's, the God-breed word that he has given to us to begin our thinking about that fifth commandment today. And you may be seated. Well, we do make a turn in our look at the commandments as we go from the first four, which are the foundation of the rest of them, the first four, which really are summed up in that first great commandment that Jesus gave to us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and body and soul. And then we move now to the second tablet, which is built upon the first, having loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And we saw that is by saying there is no other God. He's the only God. He is a unimaginable God, and therefore you cannot make a graven image of him. He is the holy God, and therefore you are to hold him sacred and worship him that way. And finally, he is a God who provides for you everything, and therefore you can rest on the Sabbath from your work in order to rest in him and to prepare for that eternal rest that is yet to come. The second tablet, beginning from uh, the fifth commandment to the tenth commandment, is talking about how who he is affects the major areas of our lives. And that's what makes it the, that which tells us the second great commandment that Jesus gave to us, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I would point out to you that that commandment has less to do with what we now, what many times is focused upon and loving ourselves. That commandment has more to do with loving your neighbor. Loving yourselves is simply a way of saying, this is how you're going to love your neighbor, the same way you do yourself. And therefore, the, it summarizes the, t the second tablet where these six commandments have to do with how do you love your neighbor? How do you love those who are around you? 
And I would also remind you, we're still talking about how to live as God's people. These commandments are not a way to make yourself pleasing to God. And that is that he would reconcile him, you, yourself with him. But having been reconciled, having been brought out of slavery, this is then how you live as his people. You show the very core of who you are. And then I would remind you our working phrase that we're beginning, we're adding on one section each week as we go through this commandment. By the time we're done, it's going to take four pages to have it there. Not quite, but it is getting to be a long phrase. It says, our sovereign God creates worshipers who grow as disciples, who treat him with all reverence and respect as they gather to worship. And today we add on this, the phrase, living under God's authority. Not only his sovereignty and his lordship, but I'll give you a thumbnail of what we're going to take a look at. That every one of us lives under those who are given to us by God as authorities over us. And the commandment says, how then shall I live as one who lives under authority? And now, as soon as I say that to 21st century people, and even Christians, I can hear this shudder. I have to live under authority. We have with, built within us the sin of Adam and Eve who decided, no, God did not know what he was saying. I know better, and I'm going to do it. And so it takes humility to even consider what this commandment and the other commandments have to do. Because you have to say, not my will, but your will. Not what I think, but what you think. Not what I want, but what you want. And that's a tremendous amount of humility, especially for Americans. Americans aren't that humble at all. Gets us into problems. So let's take a look at it in the way we have been looking at the others. A little deviation here. We're going to take a look at that this commandment has a portrait of God. And the portrait of God is that God is a God of all authority. He's filled with weightiness, gravitas, glory. And he sets people over us who have that same authority or a derivative of his authority. You take this and you derive it from the word honor in Deuteronomy 5.16. That word honor is from the Hebrew word kabed or kabod. It means to be heavy, to be given glory, to be considered noteworthy. When, uh, when a lot of our issues of our day began back in the 60s, when at least a couple of us were growing up, we had a phrase man, that's heavy. That's really, really heavy. Usually came when someone said something that was significant or when they were stoned out of their mind and they just thought something was significant. <laughs> oh, man, that's heavy. Yeah, certainly it's heavy. It's that sense of what kabod is all about. It's, it has gravitas. It has meaning. It has depth. And in that meaning and the depth... You, you were called to respect it, to pay attention to it. And that's what the, the word honor means. It's used in Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three, when the psalmist says, stand in awe of the Lord. That is, 
it could also be translated, honor him. Make him weighty in your life. And that's the kind of portrait. It has that sense of prizing, to count worthy, of keeping and revering, to care for, to be under one who watches over you, to show respect, to obey, to do the works worthy of doing and following. And the underlying theme of this, uh, in this commandment is that the the Lord God rules over all as one worthy to be obeyed and to be followed. And he gives to us those who are called to rule over us as well. Now, some, uh, some people rule over us and yet no way are worthy of being obeyed. And others are, we follow or are followed who have no authority or ruling place, but the Lord God has both authority and worth. He is heavy. Man, that's really, really heavy. That's the way we look at the Lord God. From this we understand that the Lord stands behind all authority and all office which rule. He is the authority that stands behind every ruling authority in heaven and in earth. And so part of the corollary of that is if you disobey those who are in authority, you are disobeying the one who is behind that unless unless those who are over you are asking you to do something counter to the supreme authority. That's how crucial, that's how deep, that's how heavy this commandment is. So we take the meaning of this as many of our fathers in the faith have said, that to honor your father and your mother is more than simply your parents. It does mean anybody who has any kind of authority over you. You are called to give them weight, to give them glory to say that they are heavy with God. And I think the Lord, when he wrote this commandment, was basically beginning with father and mother because this is the basis of any healthy, whole, and growing society. As a family goes, so goes the society. You want to know one of the reasons our society is in such bad shape? In the last 60, 70 years, a family has been disintegrating for a variety of reasons. But it's been disintegrating. And therefore, we do not know what it is to live under authority. And we do, having been set free in a way, we like our freedom. And we don't necessarily want to deal, go back to living under that authority. But since God calls those in authority to watch over and act in a manner that reflects their relationship, We who are underneath are called to accept their authority as if they were our parents. Now, I know we don't talk that way. You mean Congress is my parent? Some people act as if they were. They give us everything they want. But they're my parents? You mean the boss that I work for is my parent? You mean the leaders of my church are my parents? You mean anyone who has any authority over me? The police, the judges, they're my parents? Yeah, that's exactly 
what I think this commandment is pointing to and pushing to us. And so you have different categories. Behind every person or institution of authority rests the Lord God, who's the final authority. He places them there. And in his providence, he aligned them with us, whoever they may be. Now, we may think God did a really bad job, but God doesn't do a bad job at any time. He has a purpose for the parents and the employers and the Congress and the police and everything that there is there. For instance, we go through parents. As God created marriage, he called parents to be fruitful and multiply, therefore to have children, and they are called to be the authorities over their children. Employers, as God calls us to work, it implies that there are employers and employees, and therefore the employers have parental authority and work and oversight over their employees. Rulers, as God calls them to oversee people for the people's welfare, therefore they are called, we are called to see them as those who watch over us. And let me, let's go to uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2. I find this ex- uh, exceedingly fascinating passage when you put it into context. 1 Peter 2.13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You remember who the emperor was about the time that Peter wrote? Nero, who used to put Christians on crosses and pour oil over them and make them his torches at his barbecue parties. Who consistently would crucify or kill Christians. And Peter says, honor the emperor. You know our reaction in our, in our day and age. Honor him. I, I'm not, I don't even like him. I'm not going to honor him. But again, this is a God-breathed word. Honor those, even if they aren't good, you honor them. Same thing with church leaders. God calls them to oversee and serve those whom God has called to eternal life. He has given us some pastors and teachers to bring us to maturity. 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about respect those who labor over you, esteem them highly. In the Lord, First Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. I didn't put that in simply because I'm a teacher. It's the Word of God. <laughs> There's no self-aggrandizement of that. But consider double honor. Whatever honor you give to someone else, give double honor to others. And here's the other, the last one. The younger to the older. 
God calls the older to help the younger as they have lived longer, grown more, and experienced more. And the younger are called to consider the advice and to heed the advice of the older. Boy, is that counter to our culture. Everything we want to do, we do for the kids, right? And we know parents who will argue against teachers that, my Johnny couldn't have done anything wrong when he was clearly has done some things wrong. Or we don't listen. And, I, and again, I don't say that because I'm one of the oldest people in this room. <laughs> and therefore you ought to listen. It's just Bible. Older person has more experience, more opportunity to have failed, and therefore knows what is successful. An older person has wisdom that younger people can't possibly have because you just don't have the time to do it. Uh, for instance, one of my churches, we had a suicide of, I think, about a 14-year-old boy. He got upset because his girlfriend broke up with him at 14, committed suicide. He couldn't handle it. And I had the funeral, and it was packed with junior highs who had no idea, one, what a funeral was because they really hadn't been to any, had no idea in some ways what death was because they hadn't faced it very much. Or if it had, it had been the grandparent who's old and you expect them to die. And you could just see this look upon their face of, what, 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 is, what are we doing here? What's all this about? It's a great time to share the gospel. But also realize if the older in their lives had taught them. So your girlfriend breaks up with you. It's not the end of the world. There's probably another one out there. And if there isn't, then you have something better to do in life, which we don't always focus in upon in our culture. If they had listened to that, they'd been far better. But you see, you know, some of the things that are going on, suicide rate in teenagers is higher than it's ever been before. Because in some ways they don't want to listen to their elders. I work with a group of, uh, an organization, a ministry called Operation Rebirth. It's a Christian academy and school for boys who are really troubled. And one of the things, first things they teach the boys is whenever an adult enters a room, you stand up. And so when I come in to teach them on Tuesday mornings, I open the door and as soon as that door opens, poof, they're all standing. I go, thank you, yes. <laughs> but they're showing respect and honor. And that's how it gets, starts to be inculcated. I love Ger German Lutherans. Because German Lutherans have the tradition when the pastor enters a room, everybody stands. I noticed you didn't do that this morning. <laughs> you came in last. <laughs> I know. That's why you stay over there drinking coffee, so you don't have to do that. But again, that's honoring those who are older. It's honoring the leaders. It's honoring those who are around us. And that is part of who God is. He's a God who has given those individuals to us as authorities over us. And therefore we are called to honor them. 
just as we honor the Lord God. Because they are his authorities. So you have the prescription of the fifth commandment. And some of this is with help from the Westminster Larger Catechism questions 122 to 123. We are called to honor, respect all those who in authority, beginning with our parents. For example, Jesus. That's why I use the Luke 2, 51 to 52 passage. You know, if anyone, if any kid, any time, had a right reason not to honor his parents, it was the God-man. I mean, he's perfect. And I can tell you, Mary and Joseph were not perfect. Only being human, they were not perfect. But they were the parents that God gave for his son to be born and the family into which he came. He also came in with brothers and sisters. And they weren't perfect. But he was absolutely perfect. And if anyone had the right to say, you didn't do that right, I'm not going to obey it. Jesus did, but the word says he was submissive to them. And because he was submissive, he grew. He grew in stature, probably in age. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God and man. That's what the passage talks about. Why? Because first of all, I think, he was submissive to his parents. In fact, he was submissive to his parents to the end. There he is hanging on the cross and he sees his mother down there. And what does he do? He takes care of his mother by giving her to John and saying, John, your mother, mother, your son, take care of him. He's submitting him, submitting her and he is doing what he, he's showing his love, even as we are called to show that same kind of love to our parents when they get old. So we are called to honor and honor comes in three respects. One, it comes reverence, to show honor by fearing and hallowing. To be fearing is not, to, not a cowering fear, but to respect who they are, the position they hold, and the responsibility they carry. I, I hear this from my own kids, and I hear it from a lot of other kids when they finally have children. And they say, oh, this is really neat. This is really wonderful. We have children. And then they think about it and said, now for the rest of my life, I'm going to be taking care of them. You know, in our culture, we think, well, you hit 18, maybe 21, or sometimes in the 21st century, they finally hit 26 and they're not under your insurance. And they don't get out of the basement until they're 35. But you know, if you're a parent, you're always taking care of your children. No matter how old they are, no matter if they're married, uh, no matter where they live, you're always watching over them, praying for them, caring for them. And you do the same thing for your parents as they're growing up. That's fearing. It's also hallowing. To hold them up to respect and honor, not to denigrate or embarrass. Rather that we are called to praise and to encourage them. We're called to pray for them. You know how, well, some of you do know how difficult it is to be a parent, especially if you have a difficult child, a child who is rebellious, a child who is, who is not, he's not listening, or a child who really has shown the, the Adamic nature. You know how difficult that is? 
And if you're one of those children, you really ought to be praying for your parents that they have patience with you. Because eventually if you're in Christ, you'll get over that. If you're not in Christ, you better pray that they pray that you come to Christ. Because that's part of the way in which we honor and, or we hallow. And we, we do not denigrate them. We curb our contempt, our rebellion, our envy, our cursing, our making fun of them, our shaming, our disgracing. Uh, this, this has to do with anyone who is over us in authority. But it is also a reminder of what, I think, what the Lord is doing when he gives us people of authority. It's showing something about ourselves that needs to be fixed. And therefore, we are to work on those areas. Before we complain about somebody else, we start working on ourselves. My father only spanked me one time. He wasn't that kind of fellow. But it was a Saturday morning. I was tired. I wanted to watch cartoons. He wanted me to work. I didn't want to work. And I let him have, uh, with a curse, I have, I don't know if I've ever used it since. The look on his face was one, you will never say that to me again. And he took me in and he spanked me. And he was a big guy. He had strong arms. And that hand of education hit the seat of understanding. <laughs> And I remember, I think I still feel the sting of it. But you know what I learned from that? Respect for my elders. And even at the times I've been tempted not to respect them, there's this warm spot on my backside <laughs> that reminds me, no, you respect your parents and you curb anything that would want to move away from that. One of the great stories of the scriptures, it's, it's really tiny, but it's, I put the passage here, Second Kings 2, 23 to 25. Elisha has come back over the Jordan, having said goodbye to Elijah, and now taking his place as the prophet of Israel. And he gets over to a little town, and there are about 40 little boys who are there. And they began, as the scripture says, they began jeering him. And yelling at him. And Elisha calls down a curse upon them. And a bear comes out and he eats all 40 boys. They never did that again. <laughs> but you see, that's why you have to curb that, that uh, desire not to hallow and not... To fear those who are in authority. Second one is obedience. To follow what they say to you to do. Jesus talked about if anyone loves me he will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me. Since the second half of the, tab of the Ten Commandments, the second table, has to do with loving your neighbor. Keeping the commandments of those who are in authority is a way in which you show that you love them. And that you really have their best interests at heart. So you submit to their instructions and, and to their corrections as you are able to do. 
If you're in the first Peter, let's move to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. The fifth verse, where Peter, writing in a section about the Christian household, writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And the masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Even slaves were called to submit to their masters, to their correction, to be faithful to them, to defend and support their authority, to tolerate their weaknesses, their imperfections, and to cover them by our love. Proverbs 10:12 talks about love covers a multitude of sins. Or 1 Corinthians 13, part of what love is, is that it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things. It does not keep a record of wrong. You don't bring out your little notebook and write, oh, the boss did this again today. Oh, no, no, no. And after 55 pages, yeah, once again, he did this again. No, love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't say that the, what he did was right. It simply says, as God does with us, he doesn't bring it back up to our memory or before us. That's how God has forgiven you. He can't forget what you've done. Even the most hideous thing that you've done, he can't forget. He just says, I will not bring it back up to you. It's covered. It's covered in the blood of my son. I have forgiven and I will not remind you of what you've done. You do the same thing with those who are in authority before you. And you tolerate their weaknesses. Why? Because you have weaknesses too. You curb your failure to obey and perform what is required. It's, it's one of those, and I'll again go back to bosses. Well, you don't do this. Why do I have to do this? I'm not going to do it. And you kind of slough off. Well, honoring your boss and honoring your work is doing what you have been called to do as long as it's not immoral or illegal and to curb your failure to obey what he's told you to do it means that one obeys unless you're asked to do something which ultimately disobeys the ultimate authority the God it's like the apostles before the Sanhedrin when they told them they were not allowed to talk about Jesus even to one another you're not allowed to mention the name even to yourselves. And they said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We have to tell people about Jesus. That's what God has called us to do. The third part is gratitude. To give thanks to God for those who are over you in authority. One, thank them for their service. 
You know, leadership is lonely unless nobody's following and then you're just out for a nice walk. Leadership is lonely because you have to make decisions that maybe nobody else wants to make and you have to make decisions that maybe nobody else wants. But leadership says, I must do this. And they serve you. They serve you as they give themselves to you. They, may not, they don't do it perfectly. They don't do it well. No parent ever has. No boss ever has. Nobody ever has. But that's their, that really is their goal. Because any, any good boss knows, if I don't serve my people, the work doesn't get done. I, mean, I, I have my bachelor's degree in business administration. And one of the things we learned back then was it's not top-down. It's that the top goes down to the bottom and works with the bottom. And that's how you're going to get things done. Serve the people who are under you. Some bosses don't do that. But they are, they serve you in maybe other ways. Thank them for their abilities. You know, God gave them talents and abilities. You may not think so. God gave your parents talents and abilities. You may not be too thrilled about them. But everyone has the talents and abilities. And they put it into service usually the best way they can. From their own learning, from their own experience, from the person that they are. They at least try to do the best they can. You ought to thank them for that. Now, it's not that you go up to the boss and say, I know you're not doing a good job, but I really want to thank you that you're trying. <laughs> Pink slip comes the next time the checks come out. You don't do it that way, but you do thank them, and you are grateful for their abilities. You're grateful for their personhood, for who they are. They are made in the image of God. It may be twisted. It may be tied up in knots. It may be... Not the image that you want, but they have that image of God within them. And therefore, when you are thankful for who they are, you're thankful for God who made them. For God placing them over to you. The last one, you thank them because they give you an opportunity to grow and to learn. Even from the negative examples. I did not, I, during the summer, I used to work at a camp up in the Alleghenies. And for a few years I worked there, we had a boss, a camp director, who was not the best camp director you would ever want. But you know what I learned from his mistakes? As I thought about what he did and what it could be done better, I learned this is the way it ought to be done. It's the same thing. You learn from your parents' mistakes. Now, sometimes we look at our parents and we go, man, I'm not going to treat my kids that way. But then again, that's the only example you have, and that's the way you sometimes treat your kids. But you at least learn, no, I'm not going to do that. And you try not to do it. And you've learned, and you ought to be grateful for that. How do you learn to make good decisions? You make bad decisions. How many bad decisions does it make until you learn how to make good decisions? All the bad decisions that you make, it takes you to learn how to make good decisions. It's the same way 
in a relationship with those in authority. You learn and you grow from that. In short, I think what God is calling us to be and honoring our parents and our mother and father is to be servants, not in a slavish manner, but to be people who help those who are over us, to be people who care for them. And that's showing love. Maybe there is a weakness in your parents or maybe there is a weakness in your employer, a weakness in a society. In that, you have an opportunity to bring maybe a strength you have into that equation and to help things to go better. Instead of complaining, instead of griping, instead of kicking the dust and going, oh man, this guy is horrible. You come alongside and you help when you can, without seeming to undermine his, his or her authority, but you are there. Thirdly, there's a promise that goes with a prescription. Deuteronomy 5.16b, where it says, Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment that has a promise that things would go well with you and in the land. That's not the first time that has been said. If you turn a page over or swish over to the left and you go down to Deuteronomy 4, in verse 40, Moses writes, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and the commandments which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you of for all time. Same promise. That which is given. We have a tendency to personalize it. I mean, we're Americans in the 21st century, and everything has to be individualistic. Say, well... If I honor my mother and father, I'm going to have a great life. No, there's no promise of that. These promises and these commandments are given to a people. That as a people, if you do these things, then, as the Lord promised, your days as a people will be long and it will go well with you in the land that I am giving to you. It's as a group. We are called to honor authority simply to make it go well with society. And so serious is this word about disobedience that let me remind you of what Moses wrote in the 21st chapter of Exodus. Verse 17. Whoever curses, that is, whoever dishonors or reviles his father and his mother shall be put to death. One time. And you should be put to death. That's how serious it is. I mean, I shouldn't be here. My father, if he was an Old Testament legalist, should have shot me right there. Or he took me into the woodshed, he could have cut me up. Whatever. But that's how serious disobedience for those in authority are over you. When you disobey, 
you deserve the death penalty. Well, the flip side is that when you dishonor, you lose the blessing the Lord has for you. If you obey, there's a blessing that comes to the people as a whole and to the land. If you disobey, you lose that blessing. If children do not obey their parents, the families disintegrate. Look at David and his sons who rebelled and he did not correct them. And it, caught, and it brought in division within the land. Look at Ham, who when his cha the champion Noah got drunk and fell asleep naked in his tent. And Ham saw it. He went back to his brothers and he was being disrespectful to his father. And he was cursed. The other two put a blanket around them, walked in backwards, laid it on their father, and they received his blessing. But the family of eight that had gone through the flood all of a sudden disintegrates because of that. In the workplace, as you dishonor employers, discord and strife increases and ruin the workplace. The coffee place, the coffee retreat can sometimes become the most, the most discouraging and greatest place of discord as employees talk about the employers. And you don't think that doesn't have an effect when people go back out on the floor? It does. It has an effect upon how you look at your employer and how willing you are to serve and be a part of them. With the police and judges, as we dishonor them, it causes some to, dispay, to disobey and to not listen to them. How many times have you seen videos on TV, especially recently? The police tell you to stop and the person keeps running. If a policeman tells you to stop, you stop. If a policeman comes behind you because you've been doing 75 and a 70 mile an hour and fits those lights, you don't speed up. You pull over and you take your ticket. But if you pull over, all of a sudden, you don't find one policeman. You find 10 policemen chasing after you. And yes, you'll make the evening news because a helicopter will show you. But that's not the way you want to make your evening news. In fact, even the way you describe policemen, we use that word cops. You know, cops was a derogatory term when it was developed, coppers. I don't even use that word. Because I think it's derogatory to them. I call them the police. I call them sir. I buy them coffee. I show, you know, you show respect to those who are in authority. God has set them over in authority. With a nation. Disrespect breeds discord. With the leaders or even among the leaders. You know, as a family disintegrates, it leads to a society breaking apart. And a culture that's disintegrating leads to a nation in upheaval and anarchy. You, you want to know why the nation is the way it is. Go back to the 60s and 70s. Where we were told as young college students, 
don't trust anyone over 30, which was said by somebody over 30. Think about that one. <laughs> and we said, no, you don't trust adults. You do your own thing. Because that's heavy, man. That's really, really heavy. <laughs> and it has just blossomed into the culture. And now we're, we're a nation that's disintegrating because authority is not listened to, is not respected. You see it in the public sphere. You have trouble talking to people on college campuses because they'll shout you down. And there's no respect in that. Because they have no respect for people who have authority or the rights, the authority given to people to say what they want to say. And it leads to the same in the states. Right now, you'll find people who are saying we shouldn't be paying taxes, although it has been declared legal act that you have to pay taxes. And it still comes up. Don't pay your taxes. Well, okay, don't pay your taxes, and when you're in jail, we'll come visit you. Okay, or you'll face a hefty fine. Go ahead, disobey the authorities. Or disregard the speed limit. This is one of my big ones. Because when I go out, I, I, I love speed control. Because I'll set it at 70 or 71, 72, because I know from a state trooper that's okay. And then I'm driving down the street, the road, and someone passes me until they get to the top of the hill and the brake lights come on. And the only reason the brake lights come on is because there's a state trooper right over there. Okay? The only reason he's stopping is because he doesn't want it. He or she doesn't want a ticket. But even going 71 miles an hour is disregarding the authority of the state to tell you how much you want to go. We have people who come through our housing area, which is a 25 mile an hour speed limit, and they go 35, 40, and we have a lot of, we have some kids who live there. We personally have kids who live there. They just have no respect for other people's lives or what the state has done. See, they really don't love their neighbors. Honor your parents. Honor those in authority is really the first step of loving your neighbors, wanting to do good to them. And it's built upon the reality that we have a sovereign God who is holy, who is unimaginably wonderful, but who has called us to rest in him and not in ourselves. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn what it is to honor those whom you have placed over us, even when we are not prone to do so. Help us, O oh Lord, to be people who pray for one another and pray for those in authority. Help us for those to be people who love them, who cover over their sins and forgive them, who help them come alongside as servants to strengthen and to care for to be people who curb our own passions and desires and wills in order that they may excel 
and to become more and more the people that you want them to be. Help us, O Lord, also in this way to show the good news of Jesus Christ and the change he has brought within us and the change that he can bring to somebody else and use these as an opportunity to share the good news, the great joyous news of our faith. Help us, O Lord, because we are so weak. We are so tied in with our culture. We are so in tuned with that which is not yours. We need to be reminded and reminded and reminded. And so, Holy Spirit, take these words that I have said, that we have listened to, that we have thought about, and use that which is appropriate for each person to allow them to follow hard after the sandaled footprints of our Savior and to glorify Him as we serve. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.